when I was in high school, there was uh, a guy, I remember that, um, didn't have like an original thought or a new thought, or really an inspired thought. What he would do is just kind of copy what other people were doing and then pass it off as his own. And, and being someone that was trying to create, trying to do some artwork or anything, trying to create stuff and then have a person that you know that's just like not creating anything new or original. It's like, oh, this is a bummer. Like, what, what's happening here? But you know about copycats. You know about copycats and like that. You know about, like, I, remember I used to copycat my brother. He got the Frank Thomas shoes, Big Hurt. I got to get those shoes, right? Then he's mad. Like, why are you wearing Frank Thomas shoes? You don't like Frank Thomas. I'm like, I do now. <laughs> he's a Big Hurt. I know that nickname now. <laughs> big fan. But you know about copycats and crime. You know, like, hey, this person did this. Well, now someone else is just going to copy it and do this. And, and I think in all those, I, I feel that even back to high school, I'm not trying to rag on this guy, but just, just it's weak. Like, it's uninspired. It's unmoving. Un, uh, unless you don't know it's a copycat, it may be moving. You're like, man, this is really good. Yeah, the person that did 10 years ago did really well, right? But in this battle, we're in Ephesians 6, and what Paul has told us, what the Bible has told us, that we are in a war. We're struggling. We're fighting. We're battling against not one another, not your spouse, not your kids, not your coworkers, but against principalities, authorities, cosmic powers, all to say that the various ranks of the devil and demons and their powers and abilities. He's saying all this. This is who your war is against. And I want you just to, to go think a big picture about this. And I want you to see that Satan is quite weak, weak in the way that he is also a copycat, because what you see in the story of the Bible is that God creates and Satan does nothing other than counterfeit, co-ops, corrupts and counterfeits what God creates. So I just want you to see this, see that there, there's nothing oppressive from him. There's nothing all inspiring from him just counterfeit weak counterfeit after weak counterfeit after weak counterfeit god creates and satan counterfeits so let's see it angels all right satan comes with demons god creates obedience satan counterfeits with rebellion god speaks truth creates truth satan counterfeits with lies god creates spirit-filled people <laughs> satan counterfeits with demon-possessed God is about cleansing, and Satan's about defilement. God is about humility, Satan about pride. God, forgiveness, Satan, bitterness. God creates worship that you would see him as the objective, beautiful, glorious being that he is. And Satan says, hey, hey, what about this? What about this person? What about this object? What about this idea? And he's saying, yeah, yeah, worship too, worship too, worship too, just anything but Jesus. God creates contentment. Satan counterfeits with coveting. God gives peace. Satan just swims in the river of fear. Unity, divisions. God gives the church shepherds. Satan sends in wolves. God creates where everything is about him, that he is the center, meaning a God-centered life. And Satan counterfeits just like he did all his life and says, hey, hey, what about you? Shouldn't you be the center of everything? Shouldn't everything be about you? 
Shouldn't you submit to what you want? Shouldn't your desires overrule everything? Shouldn't, shouldn't you just jump in with all of like the new age, modern cliches, right? Of like, be true to yourself and do whatever you want. They'll adjust. I've seen those shirts. I'm like, oh, if, what is, what is it? Just, let me step away from the pulpit. Just as a society, does that work? Can that work? It can't. Okay. All right, now I'm back to the Bible. Okay, just my thought. God creates a covenant with him. Satan says, hey, take a vow with yourself. You're the one that, you you vow to yourself. You, You keep that with yourself. You're the most important. That's who you vow to. God creates freedom, Satan. Slavery, revival, riot, life, death, church, world, kingdom, hell. The, the enemy is just a weak copycat with no original ideas, with nothing to really bring to bring life or joy or hope or real, just real life. He just counterfeits, counterfeits, counterfeits. It's all negative, weak, unimpressive, unoriginal trash. And with that said, we're back to Ephesians 6, particularly verse 17. I want you to see with me, okay? So we've been walking through the the armor of God slowly. We're looking at one verse today. Ephesians 6, verse 17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So, helmet of salvation. Now, salvation here, this word... Uh, is not mainly about being delivered in the future, delivered from uh, uh, punishment in the future, whatever you're thinking. What it is, is you have been saved, Ephesians 2. You have been delivered now. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness, pulled up, plucked out, pulled over, adopted, and put in the kingdom of the beloved son, Jesus. You have been delivered. It's done. It's done. Paul stated that we've been made alive with Christ. Ephesians 2, he also said we're co-resurrected with Christ. He also said we're co-exalted with Christ. So being delivered from the domain of darkness, and now, now we're in his kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, so we are to participate in his power and authority. So the song we just sang is very true. Jesus has put everything under his feet, but it's also true that he's put everything under our feet. Why? Because we're united to him. So we're in this domain with this king, Jesus, and all of his power and authority over cosmic powers, principalities, authorities, evil, darkness. Chapter 1, the Bible says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand, above, supreme over, above Every principality and authority and power and dominion and subjected everything, everything under his feet. So because we're united to him, we share in his power and his authority over the devil and his domain. Now with this helmet of salvation, I want you to think about this helmet. Paul's in prison at this point while he's writing this letter. He's probably looking at a Roman guard while he's writing it, looking at the armor that the, the guard might be wearing. So he's using this illustration, painting this picture of you're not going to put bronze 
helmet on your head, but you're going to put on the helmet of salvation because there's a real war happening. Not, not Pax Romana, peace from Rome as they demolish and crush everyone and make them their subjects, but the peace of God where he comes in and loves everyone into new life. He brings that peace. He brings that salvation. And so this, this helmet, you can imagine, as Paul's looking like, oh yes, what does that protect? Every soldier has always worn these. And that this, Roman, is probably just a bronze uh, a helmet with a, like a sponge lining, you know, like a, a baseball helmet, okay? You think helmet and there's some foam on the inside, right? Unless your kids have torn all the foam apart and just their ears stick out. Just my kid, okay. Uh, but I've told you many times, Paul is not overly impressed by the Roman war machine. That's not where he's pulling all of his inspiration or even his reflection what he's reflecting meditate dwelling on is Isaiah 59 and Isaiah 59 tells us that our God is the divine warrior and it says that the divine warrior put a helmet of salvation on his own head now in this context of Isaiah 59 God is is coming to the defense of his people, and it's painted with this strokes of a warrior preparing fiercely for battle. Like you're in need, God's people's in need, and what is God doing? He is preparing for battle to fight for you. That's where this helmet of salvation comes from. That's what Paul is dwelling on. But if you know, if you've been with us in Ephesians, maybe you connected the dots, the divine warrior is fulfilled by King Jesus coming into his life, uh, resisting all temptation, saying yes to the Father, dying in your place, publicly triumphing over the enemy on the cross, and in the tomb by walking out of it. Publicly triumphing, shaming the enemy. This is what our divine warrior has done, that he stepped in our place, saw that we were defenseless, saw that we needed rescue, saw that we were enslaved to the evil one, and said, I'm coming for you. So you, you should feel this, all of Ephesians 6, really as a, a, a that's just not the word. It's a pep rally. I hate it. Uh, it's more Braveheart than a pep rally. Don't go to high school. Go to uh, Scotland, okay, in your mind. That's what I want you to do. Okay, we've got a pilot here. He can take you there, okay? If you need to go to Scotland. But the, go in your mind and think about that, that amping motivational speak before you go to war. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, you are in a war. If you're ignorant of it, you're probably getting beat up by the enemy. And so let's not be ignorant of it. You're actually in a war. They're coming to steal, kill, and destroy you. That's the enemy's intent, desire. King Jesus comes to our defense as a fierce warrior and stands against the devil and crushes his head. And now we fight until the day that he brings his kingdom on earth fully. I mean, we, we, we wrestle in this already not yet of his kingdom. That yes, he's defeated the foe, but yes, the foe is still around trying to pick us apart, trying to 
weakening our relationship with the Father, trying to steal our joy, kill our relationships, destroy our communion, our union, our love, our humility, all the things that God creates. But as we fight, I want you to know this. We fight till the day that Jesus fully brings his king to earth and throws our enemies into hell forever. And so that means that in this fight daily, from now until you die or he returns, in this fight daily, you're battling, you're warring, you're fighting against a defeated foe. I've walked through this list so many times, but let me just walk through it again. This is really the, this is my attempt to show you who you're fighting against. Ruined rulers, anguished authorities, crushed cosmic powers, emasculated evil, and smashed spiritual forces. That's who you're warring against. And so we believe demons exist, yes, but we won't live in fear because Jesus has won. And we won't live in fear because Jesus has united us to himself. We won't be fearful and live in fear because he's told us that greater is he who is in us than the evil in the world and the devil in this world. Greater is the Holy Spirit of God in you. So so you should, back to that uh, motivational speech, back to that pre-war rallying cry. There we go. That's better. Okay. No cheerleaders in this Scottish war, right? It's not a pep rally. Uh, sorry if you're a cheerleader. I don't know. I don't know what they say about that. I'm sorry. But we won't live in fear. God not only fights for his people, but then he also gives his armor so that we can join the fight with him. That's how good the Father is to us. Now, this helmet in particular is most likely a reference to assurance of salvation. Charles Hodge puts it this way. That which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. And and what was the devil's first strategy to our first parents, Adam and Eve? lie about God, cast doubts about God, cast doubts about God's goodness. Is he really that good? Did he really say this? In this battle, our battle, if, if demons try to cast doubt and weaken our relationship with our Father and weaken our trust in our Father, then, then we're taking major damage. I don't, I don't know what you have to do to to visualize this, to understand what's really happening. I don't have to think about Street Fighter, but if you're getting beat up, your energy was at 100. Now it's down in the red. Essentially, you get sidelined. You get knocked out of the fight. You get beat up so much that you're limping that you can't actually help. And that's what the enemy wants. Because it's, it's really hard to stay in the fight if you don't trust your king. I'm not going to get on this battlefield if, I'm not gonna, if I don't trust the guy I'm supposed to be following. And so to, to essentially sideline me is to, is to say, do you really think you should follow him? Is he really that good to you? Is this the truth? Is this what you're going to put all your eggs in this basket, in the Jesus basket? So that you don't even get on the field. You don't even fight. 
when there is serious and persistent and ongoing spiritual attack, usually there is doubt of salvation. Why? Because that's what the love, the enemy loves to spread, to sow seeds of doubt. But are you really changed? Have, have you counted all your sin recently? Have you looked back and like, oh, you're really hot for God one day, and the next you're like spinning off out of control? Did God really save you? Did he really give you a new heart? Are you sure about this? An old Puritan says this. Such is Satan's envy and enmity against the Christian's joy and comfort that he cannot but act to the utmost of his strength to keep poor souls in doubt and darkness. Satan knows that assurance is a pearl of such price that will make the soul happy forever. He knows that assurance makes a Christian's wilderness to be a paradise. He knows that assurance begets in Christians the most noble and generous spirits. He knows that assurance is that which will make men strong to do exploits, to shake his tottering kingdom about his ears, and therefore he is very studious and industrious to keep souls off from assurance as he was to cast Adam out of paradise. So to, to put on, to take up the helmet of salvation means to live in the knowledge and assurance of the truth expressed in Romans 8. Verse 1, there is no longer any condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. Like you got to believe on that. That's that what it means to pick up this helmet and hold on to it and wear it. To say, I'm going I'm to acknowledge this. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to hold on to this truth. And that's not it. The, the chapter ends with that nothing Satan can do to alter or undermine the fact that we're saved. Nothing. He can't do anything. You can think about all of his schemes. There's nothing he can do to unpluck you from the Father's hand. There's nothing he can't do to kill the a live heart that God has made in you. There's nothing he can do that will sever the relationship you have with your father. Be assured. Be assured. Not angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. I love this. Nor any other created thing. What I tell you, God creates. What does that mean? Satan is a creation. You, you really want to follow, give your life, and be bullied by someone that's just a creation? Nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what the enemy goes after is our assurance and confidence that we are saved. Our salvation, look at me real quick. Our salvation, our standing before God does not fluctuate on your success or failures. You, you've been given a false gospel if you've heard that throughout your life. It's sad. I don't want you to believe anymore. There's not, hey, you're a son. Oh, you made a few mistakes. Now you're an orphan. Hey, you're, you're doing kind of better now. I'll call you a son again. That's not your relationship with the father. 
because it's not contingent upon your success, foes, your sins, your wins. It's contingent upon Jesus's win. And so you're standing before him will not change because Jesus will not change. So you can stand confidently. He has me. But Satan is determined to convince us that it does. That does fluctuate. That maybe you're a son now, but can you really think about this? Think of all the things you've been doing. Now, do you hear me when I say these things? You should hear, like, this is what the enemy says to you. Lies to you, cast doubt to you, trying to tempt you to, to distrust your father. I know the importance of a helmet. I've had a few times in my life that I needed a helmet. Number one, first time snowboarding. Uh, I almost got a concussion with a helmet. So thank God for that gal at the counter that was like, this is your first time? And I said, yes. She goes, you want a helmet? And I said, uh, no. She you sure about that? Okay, I will. A little bit of humility in a six-year-old for me. It was very rare. But I said, yes. Another time, I was 10 or 11, I was on the baseball field uh, at practice, and I'm left-handed, and I was a catcher just because we needed one, but I got onto the field, I got behind home plate, and I started putting on my catcher's gear. Shin straps first. Foolish. That's the first problem. Second problem, the pitcher had ADD or something. I don't know what's going on. He's not paying attention to what's happening. Number three, I think my coaches were drinking, okay? <laughs> It was the early 90s, West Texas, Garth Brooks was king, and Bud Light was for baseball. Okay, I don't know what was happening, all right? But what happened is I was sitting behind home plate, putting on my shin straps and maybe the chest guard, and someone says my name, and I look up, and I caught the ball with my nose. That's why I look like Owen Wilson. It's awesome, okay? It's all the whatever's happening here. Don't wear your helmet. Your face is going to get rearranged. Don't wear the helmet of salvation. Your mind is going to get rearranged. Confusion, doubt, lostness, all these questions of who, what is life? What am I doing? Is this real? Is this what really people believe in? All this. Put on the helmet. Put on the helmet and believe what he's done for you. You have been delivered and you will be. The reality of what has happened is just perfect hope for what's going to happen. If he said he was going to do this and he did it, he said he's going to do this and he will do it. So put on that hope. Going into Tuesday without your helmet is like inviting a bully to call you names and trash talk your father. Like, why would you invite that? Like, you're going to hire someone to be like, hey, will you just follow me around and tell me terrible things about myself and keep the list of all the things I do wrong, repeat them back to me, and then, uh, I don't know, tell me how bad my dad is? That's what it's like, not wearing your helmet. It's just inviting a bully to beat you up and lie to you and harass you. It's like staying with a girlfriend or boyfriend who keeps undermining your convictions. The enemy is a lying, lying gaslighting, manipulative weasel, perpetually harassing your relationship with your father, your big brother Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in you. So put on the helmet and trust that God has and will save you.
If this is the reality, then put this on. That's why he's giving it to you. And not only the helmet, he gives you what? Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the sixth piece that he says. Sixth piece of armor. Sixth piece of armor. Paul urges believers to know. This is what's happening with this word. The sword of the spirit. He's urging us to know and wield the scriptures against every form of demonic attack. Now, people have argued this, but what's really happening is both things, that the word speaking here, the word here is speaking of the gospel message, the message of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection, and ascension, and current reigning of the right hand of the Father. That's the good news. And that proclamation of the gospel, like heralds going into city and say, the king has won, the king has won, only pushes back darkness, fights against the enemy. Why? Because the message is a message of captives being free. That you're in slavery, but you can get out because King Jesus has come for you. So this message pushes back, uh, sets captives free, forgives, renews. But also, the word is speaking of the Bible. The, the 66 books that comprise of this one book, God breathed, inspired by God, his voice to us. And so last week we saw the, the shield, where we, we hold the shield to extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one, but we also see the sword here. That means that he not only shoots at us from a distance, but he comes close and fights hand to hand. Because this isn't a long broadsword. This is like a 12 to 14 inch sword, and this is how you're going to fight, how you're going to fight against, how you're going to resist, how you're going to ward off the enemy's attacks. This is defending against lies, temptation. This is counting the enemy's doubts with the truth of God. This is fighting his lies with the word of God. This is fighting temptation with the voice of God. This is what it means to pick up the sword, the word of God, and wield it against the enemy. Now get specific. Let me think about one specific thing. Just think about addiction or addictions to a substance, to a person, to an experience where like you have to have this in your life otherwise you don't feel right, stable, or good. Okay? One author says you really only have four options as a Christian. You have four options. Number one, minimization. You can try to manage your sin. You can try to Keep from getting it, keep it from getting worse. You can try to modify it. You can act like it's not that big of a deal. You can pair yourself with other people, right? And be like, ah, my stuff isn't as bad as that person's stuff. But sin is like cancer. Either it will kill you or you will kill it. We can't minimize it. Number two, you can compartmentalize it. Meaning, with that addiction, you can try and hide it, live a secret double life, anxious, anxiously hoping you don't get caught, exposed, found out. At times, maybe even ask God that you don't get found out. That's how crazy it is. But you, you just, you won't get rid of it. So you'll hide it and keep it. 
Three, you can celebrate it, this addiction. You can accept it as your new identity and be proud of it, even though you should be ashamed of it. This explains why the world has parades for things when it should have funerals for things. Number four, this is your real option. This is the option I want for you is liberation, is freedom. It's to walk in the freedom God intends for you. I've told you the enemy's intent. Do you know God's intent for you? It's to grow into maturity. It's to grow into the life of Jesus. Joyful and free, warm and loving, strong and tender, all of it. Walk in the freedom God attends by actually killing this sin. The Bible again says, put to death, therefore, what is worldly, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then what's one major way that we fight? Uh, what's one major way we, we put sin to death? Psalm 119.11. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You willed the word. That's how you fight. That's how you put it to death, is that you know the word. You hide it in your heart. You live out the word. You pray the word. We sing the word. Like, this is what it looks like. It's to will this. What it looks like is Jesus. Because I've told you again and again and again that he is the conquering king, right? In the past four weeks, even at, uh, uh, on Easter, that he won your victory on the cross. So he's the conquering king. But before that, he's also your example. To, what does it look like to wield the word? What does it look like to efficiently, effectively fight against the enemy? It's Jesus in Matthew 4. Is that when he's tempted, just like Adam and Eve were tempted, Jesus hears the devil say, hey, you could have this. You could have all these kingdoms without the cross. If you go my way, you won't have to go to the cross. I'll give it to you now. Doesn't that sound like a better plan than God? Doesn't it sound like a better plan than your father? You won't have to have any pain. I'll give it to you now. Then he, then he tried to tempt him with, hey, aren't you so high and mighty? If you jump off, won't they, won't you, can't you just call angels to rescue you? Oh, you hungry? Can't you just turn these rocks into bread? Aren't you magical, Jesus, huh? Show me, show me your power. In all of these temptations, what does Jesus do? Stab, stab, stab. Three quotations from Scripture of what God, the Father, has told him. And Jesus says, this is the truth. I'll fight you with this. Now, I'm not going to fall like the first Adam. I'm going to fight you and defeat you. I'm the second Adam. And so he stabs, stabs, stabs. See you later. This is how we're to fight. He's not, only your, he's not only your warrior king, he's also your example of what does this look like. And so when you hear those temptations, when you hear those lies, when you hear those doubts, you better pick up the word. You, you should have probably already put it in your heart and be ready to fight. Be ready to fight against. Wearing, not wearing a helmet is like inviting a bully, but not picking up your sword. 
is really just to be content with falling into temptation. Did you hear me? It's, I think it's an active choice to say, I'm not going to pick up the sword because I'd rather fall in temptation. I'd rather give in. I'd rather say yes. I don't want to fight. But what I want for you is not to be sidelined. Not, not to stop bearing fruit. To not be just watching other people play the game, but you'd actually be involved, helping us fight these battles in our congregation, in our hearts, that we'd fight this together. But, but this is an active choice. Like, will you be sidelined? Another chess piece for the enemy to brag about. I got this one. Look at him. I knocked him off the table already. Or will you stand in your identity in Christ and rejoice in your salvation and take up the word of God to dispel lies and to tear down false ideologies and thwart the enemy's temptations? The beauty is that Jesus already won the war for you, but then gives you his armor so that you can fight these battles doesn't leave you on your own, gives you his spirit so he's present with you. Like, what are you going to pick up? They're in your closet. And this isn't anything really different than Ephesians 4. To put on the new life, to put on the new man, to walk in Christ Christ, to walk in his life, right? It's the same thing. It's a matter of, what are you going to wear? On Tuesday morning, what do you, how are you going to go out into the world? On Thursday, how are you going to go into those, that, that work? How are you going to go into those relationships? How are you going to go into that long day of work and you come home and now you've got maybe hours to work with your wife and your kids, your husband, your kids, whatever. Like, what are you going to be wearing for that? Are you going to be ready are you going to get kicked in the teeth because you're like me? You're trying to put maybe stuff on while you're in the middle of the game. Put it on now. Pick it up now. Doubt and temptation will come your way because there is an enemy trying to erode your assurance, trying to erode your confidence in God, warring against you. And my question is, are we going to fight? And I mean that as, are we going to fight? Are we going to commit to fight until we die? Or are we going to just roll over at some point? Now, if you're, if you're maybe wrestling with this of like, I don't even know if this armor is mine. I don't really know Jesus that well. I know maybe a lot about him, but I don't know him. Like, his cosmic grace hasn't collided with my heart and made me new. I know a lot. I can tell you some facts. I can tell you about our experiences with churches, but, but you don't know Jesus? Let me just be very frank with you. 
the, the picture painted in the Bible is grim for you. You're dead in your sins. You're separated from God. You're an orphan. You're enslaved and captured by the enemy. But the good news is like, we're not that smart. I'm not that smart. Uh, we didn't figure out a way to, to <laughs> get God to like us. We simply trust what he's told us and that he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us and that he's the reigning, defending, undefeated champion of the cosmos. And that's what we believe. And that's what he's invited you to believe too. You really have two options. The, the, the go with the path of the one who creates or go with the path of the one who counterfeits. No one who creates is the one who loves. No one who creates is the one that shows compassion. And the one that creates, before he created it, was a father. A generous, loving father. And he wants to give you no condemnation. He wants to gift you that love, that union with him that nothing can able ever be able to separate you from. And so before you can even put on any of these pieces of armor, really the question is, do I believe Jesus? Is he my king? Am, have I given him my life? I'm going to follow him. wherever you are, the, real, the reality is look to yourself, look to the evil one, or look to Jesus. Whether you're non-Christian or you're a Christian, that's the option. Let's pray. Father, I ask for that. I ask that you would reveal, show what's going on in our hearts. I, I think of the ignorance I've had so many times in my own life, and I pray that just if there's things that we're not aware of that you would show us if we're not aware of what what the attacks are would you show us in the spirit i ask for us that you would renew the joy of our salvation for those that know you they would put on the helmet and and rejoice in that And then, Father, I ask that you would reveal your glory to those that don't know you, that they would see you, the divine warrior fighting their battles for them. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus.